Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. When we think cold-blooded, vicious murder, we often think of large, looming, and terrifying men whom we cross the road to avoid. We don't often think of small, innocent-looking children with glasses, freckles, and red, unkempt hair. On January 22, 1980, a killer was born who would take a life just as he reached his teen years. A boy who some think is a cold-blooded danger to society, and others think needs to be placed in a facility and treated for a rare mental illness. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On August 2nd, 1993, during a hot, sticky summer in Steuben County, New York, 13-year-old Eric M. Smith was sent home from a local park day camp after some, quote, bad behavior earned him a reprimand. Eric Smith, born January 22, 1980, was no stranger to trouble. Though described as an affectionate clown by his loving grandparents with whom he loved spending time with, Eric was a tormented kid, bullied constantly for his red hair, freckles, thick glasses, and protruding low-set ears that were likely caused by the epilepsy drugs his mother took during her pregnancy. Bullying that left him with a lot of pent-up rage and anger that he felt he needed to take out on someone half his size. Enter four-year-old Derek Robbie, born October 2nd, 1988, who just so happened to be walking alone to that same camp Eric was just kicked out of. Derek was usually accompanied by his mother, who stood at the end of the driveway and watched him walk the block or so to the camp. But on that particular morning, she wasn't ready in time for the excited and impatient young boy. And while tending to his fussy baby brother, Derek told her, It's okay, Mom. I'll go by myself. It was the first time she ever let him walk anywhere alone. But figuring it was just a block, that he had no roads he needed to cross, 
and that the park was at the tip of a dead end, she figured this was the perfect opportunity for him to get some independence while still remaining safe. It wasn't long before Derek Robbie came into contact with an angry Eric Smith and was lured into a nearby wooded area, strangled, had a large rock dropped onto his skull, undressed, and then sodomized with a tree limb, just as storm clouds started to roll in. Derek had only been gone from his home for about five minutes. At around 11 a.m., Derek's mother, Doreen, went to the park to pick up her son and was told, much to her horror, that he never arrived that day. A few hours later, his small, posed body was found in the woods where he was killed. His cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head with contributing asphyxia. As the investigation into Derek's death began, police had a hard time understanding why someone would not only kill Derek Robbie, a boy described as the mayor of Steuben County, but seemed to relish in that kill. It had to be someone with a deep depravity that no one could quite understand. And it all made even less sense when, four days after the body was found, a 13-year-old Eric Smith walked into the police command center and asked if he could help solve the crime. When asked if he saw Derek the day of the murder, he, at first, denied ever seeing the young boy. This abruptly changed, though, and Eric told the officer questioning him that he saw Derek across the street from the open field, placing him right on top of the crime scene. After telling the officer what Derek was wearing and the fact that he was carrying a lunch bag, Eric bowed his head and tried to steady his voice. He put his fist up to his head, shaking, and said, You think I killed him, don't you? They decided to take a break, and Eric's father brought him a glass of Kool-Aid, the same drink found poured on the body of Derek Robbie. Eric then grabbed the drink and threw it on the ground. Feeling as though there was something more to Eric's story, the officers asked to talk to him the next day, hoping that some time back home would clear whatever block he may have. They asked Eric to get on his bike and show them where he saw Derek Robbie, still not sure if he was a cold-blooded killer or just a boy who saw something very traumatizing. He calmly did as he was asked, and police still didn't have enough information to move forward with the case despite the fact that even Eric's own family was worried that he was hiding something. But, like the police, they just assumed the 13-year-old saw something horrible and that it was affecting him in this way. After the murder, Eric spent a lot of time at the home of his neighbors, John and Marlene Heskin, playing with their children. That's when Marlene, who had suspicions of her own, started to notice some odd behavior coming from Eric. One night, he asked her, what would happen if it turned out to be a kid? And when she responded saying the child would need some psychiatric help, he simply said, oh, okay, and walked out of the room. Another time he questioned her about DNA, wanting to know what it would show if it was tested. Thinking about the details of the crime that had been released to the public, Marlene remembered a little tidbit that, to some, may have seemed pretty innocuous. In addition to having Kool-Aid from his lunch spilled onto his body, Derek had a banana in his lunch bag that had been squashed and ruined at the scene, leading her to believe that the killer was disgusted by the fruit. So, doing some investigation of her own, Marlene went over to the store and bought all of the fixins for a perfect banana split. As she delivered them to each of the kids, Eric had one simple request. He did not want bananas in his banana split, and remarked, No, I don't like bananas. 
a sentence that, while innocent, sent a chill down Marlene's spine. Five days after his murder, Derek Robbie was buried in his baseball uniform. And two days after that, Eric Smith, seemingly overcome with guilt, confessed to the vicious murder to his mother, who then called the police that very night. As the story made the national headlines, Eric, barely a teenager, was sent to trial where the defense tried to explain the mental illness that they believed caused him to kill a four-year-old boy. According to Tammy, Eric's mother, when she asked her son why he murdered Derek, he responded, I don't know, I don't know, and broke down in tears. His lawyers claimed that the seemingly normal behavior Eric exhibited after the murder further proved that he was suffering from mental illness, and that, even as a toddler, Eric threw temper tantrums that resulted in him banging his head on the ground, that he had speech problems, had been held back in school, was relentlessly bullied, and even reached out for help in controlling his anger on a number of occasions. The defense's psychiatrist diagnosed Eric with intermittent explosive disorder and uncontrollable rage, blaming the medication that Tammy took while pregnant and all the bullying, while the prosecution's expert said that this was a rare disorder and that it is not usually seen in children Eric's age. Extensive testing was done on both sides and nothing of measure, like brain function or hormone levels, explained his bursts of anger and violent behaviors. On August 16, 1994, Eric M. Smith was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to the maximum term available for his age, nine years to life imprisonment. The vote was unanimous amongst the jury. Tammy and Ted Smith, Eric's mother and adoptive father, were devastated by the verdict, believing with their whole hearts that their child was sick and needed help. Dale and Doreen Robbie cried with relief. While in jail, Eric wrote an apology letter to Derek's family and read it on public television. It read in part, I know my actions have caused a terrible loss in the Robbie family, and for that, I am truly sorry. I've tried to think as much as possible about what Derek will never experience. His 16th birthday, Christmas, anytime, owning his own house, graduating, going to college, getting married, his first child. If I could go back in time, I would switch places with Derek and endure all the pain I've caused him. If it meant that he could go on living, I'd switch places, but I can't. Eric Smith spent three years in a juvenile facility before being transferred to an open prison for young adults. In 2001, he was transferred to a regular maximum security prison where he was denied parole 10 times since 2002 with the most recent denial coming in January of 2020. He was finally granted parole in October of 2021 at the age of 41 years old. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on January 23rd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember... Stay safe.